Hello, flight instructors and NAFI members. John Niehaus, Program Director for the National Association of Flight Instructors, welcoming you back to another episode of the NAFI More Right Rudder Podcast, the podcast for flight instructors on the go. And uh, before we get to the presentation itself, I uh, just want to talk about the end of the year. So who knew it was going to be November already? And uh, as we start getting closer to the holiday season, I want you to keep NAFI in mind. Remember, you don't have to be a flight instructor to be a NAFI member. That is actually a sort of common misconception. All you have to do is have an interest in aviation, have an interest in learning. And, uh, you know, it certainly doesn't hurt to be a flight instructor, but uh, I think that the general pilot or pilot enthusiast student pilot maybe um, can get some value out of the membership and you know remember there's all kinds of learning materials there's industry leading discounts things like for flight my go flight just got announced there's a 20 percent discount to my go flight if you're interested um light speed bows asa sporties king schools uh list goes on and on so you can easily pay for your membership just by buying the things that you already buy. And then you get all this cool information on top of it, like the magazine, like our professional development program, and access to so much more. So um, think about that for the pilot in your life. Maybe that's even yourself. Who knows? Um, and if you're thinking about me, which I'm sure you're not, but if you were, a great present for me would be to subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already the more downloads we get the more subscribers we have the more we can grow um this content and it's uh, honestly one of the most fun parts of my job so um <laughs> i'd love it if you subscribe to that and check us out on social media too we're on all the major platforms um and uh it won't be hard to find us so we appreciate you, and if you are a member, thank you for being a member. We could not do it without you, and uh, every decision we make is uh, um, something we try to tailor in your direction. So thank you very much. Well, anyways, so today's presentation, similar to um, the last episode, is actually a throwback Mentor Live. Now, anytime you hear Mentor Live, you should be thinking to yourself, hmm, wings credit. I should probably do that. <laughs> um, and basically what I mean by that is, is that if you're not familiar, Mentor Live is a presentation that we do once a month on the third Wednesday at 8 o'clock p.m. And it's exactly what it sounds like. It's a presentation that's live and allows you to ask questions um, to the presenter. But if you can't make those presentations, we actually have them recorded. And there's a complete archive of all of the previous ones. And... Um, so you can even go back and, and watch any of the ones that, uh, that maybe you didn't have a chance to before. And all of them qualify for FAA Wings credit. So you can either get the Wings credit when you watch the presentation or if on any of these episodes. Um, listening to it still qualifies. So there will be a link in the show notes for Wings credit should you be inclined. And if you're not sure what that is, I highly encourage you to look up FAA Wings credit. Um, it's a wonderful program. So um, today's actual episode is going to be understanding stalls and spins. Um, and it's kind of exactly what it sounds like. It's it's uh, understanding the maneuvers. What's the difference? What do they really mean? And what happens when you do it? How do you avoid them? 
Um, and I think you're really going to like the presenters for this. Uh, certainly one of them is somebody I'm sure you know, and that is Brian Schiff. Now, Brian Schiff is a airline pilot. He's a NAFI board member. He hosts um, his uh, FAA, or not FAA, his four flights presentations once a month. Um, you know, he does a lot of things for the industry. And, of course, the Schiff name is is very well known and, and uh He's just a, a great educator, so um, I think you'll enjoy that. The other gentleman uh, who is part of this presentation is a guy named Mark King, um, and he's a full-time flight instructor from Southern California, um, CP Aviation in Santa Paula. He's got over 3,000 of his 8,000 hours of dual has been done in upset recovery training, um, tailwheel aerobatics and, and all kinds of things. And, and so Mark and Brian are the um, epitome of experts when it comes to uh, looking at these slips and skids and, and uh, being able to pass that information on to you. So I really do hope that you enjoy this episode of Understanding Slips and Skids with Brian Schiff and Mark King. about uh, slips and skids tonight. I, I, we've had many a conversation, uh, Mark and I, informally, and uh, he has, uh, even with the, as many hours as I've had, and as long as I've been learning to fly, I've been learning to fly for 40 years now, and I started in a Cetabria. It had no flaps, uh, the 7 GCAA, so I started out doing slips and uh, graduated through all the general aviation airplanes I've flown and the airliners that I'm flying now on the side of being a flight instructor. Uh, and kind of went full circle. Now I have a Satabri again. And uh, before uh, teaching my own son to fly, I had Mark give him his initial tailwheel time where he learned how to do the slips and skids and stalls and spins. And, uh, I know my limits and, and Mark is a master aerobatic instructor. And I know that I would be foolish not to enlist someone better than myself. And that Mark. We've had some great conversations and I'm looking forward to talking tonight about slips and skids. Why are we here tonight? Why are we talking about this? Um, there was a time when all airplanes, very few airplanes, should say, had flaps. And skipping was slipping to a landing was a necessary part of every pilot's repertoire. But now it's pretty much the exception rather than the rule that an airplane doesn't have flaps. And it's kind of become a lost art, but yet we still have to do it on check rides. Uh, Mark and I have discussed how we both have given uh, flight reviews, and uh, I love your story, Mark, about when the student, uh, you know, pilot getting the flight review says, "What do you want? To, what kind of landing would you like to see?" And you say, "I don't care as long as there's no flaps," <laughs> and that sets up the scenario where the pilot needs to do a slip and, and maybe come in high. And, and many pilots are afraid. Many instructors with whom I've recently flown are intimidated about doing slips. They think they're going to enter a, uh, 
a stall or worse, a spin from that. And they're just not comfortable with it. And I've noticed just like some instructors are not doing stalls regularly or enough because they're afraid of it, that fear translates to their students and those students then are afraid of stalls as well. And I think that kind of applies to slips as well. Uh, I've talked to other DPEs who have said when they have a student do a, or an applicant do a slip to landing that they kind of set up go the wrong way, they go west turns, they're going back and forth, and they just don't quite have it down. It's kind of been a lost art, and it's very misunderstood maneuver. Um, so anyway, with CFIs being afraid of it and students picking up on that fear, and then we see that as we translate along, it's, uh, you know, it, it's something I think we need to talk about. And Mark, have you noticed the same thing? I, I do, Brian, and I, I see deficiencies in how to enter a slip, how to get out of one, when to use one. Uh, back to what you said about the flight review where I, you know, you can land it any way you want to. I just want to see it without flaps, which leads to a slip. And I've had people say I haven't done a slip since my private pilot check ride, and that was 20 years ago. Okay, maybe today's a good day to, to review that. It gives us something to work on. And sure. there just seems to be I, a lot of tribal knowledge about slips. And we face some challenging times now with the pilot demand, which creates, you know, the demand is there because of the shortage, but the shortage also creates a shortage of instructors. And our new instructors are coming in with precious little time for some of us that have been around to really groom them and 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 don't want to say it this way, but to really teach them how to fly. We're fortunate at the school that I'm affiliated with that we have tailwheel airplanes and we we get the young instructors out into tailwheel airplanes and we make tailwheel instructors out of them. But back to slips, I when they when they get here, it doesn't seem they have a good understanding of the slip. That's and without the understanding that breeds fear. And, you know, a lot of times we have acronyms in aviation, and my favorite one is my fear acronym, which is false evidence of very real, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I think um, as we go over go through this, we'll talk about it, but what, what comes to mind is that it's not necessarily just for passing a check ride, but a slip to a landing or an approach can actually be a very life-saving uh, tool, a skill that, it's, I'm reminded of the Air Canada Boeing 767 back in 1983 that uh, suffered fuel exhaustion and turned into the a glider and had to land in the uh, emergency landing in Gimli, Canada. Uh, they, they called it the Gimli glider because the Boeing 767 turned into a glider when, when it suffered fuel exhaustion. And the pilot, having been a glider pilot, used those skills as he was approaching the 8,000-foot runway in Gimli, and he was too high didn't do a go around, didn't want to overshoot the runway into what was uh, buildings at the other end of that. And, and that could have been catastrophic. So he put that 767 into a slip and got it down uh, and was able to land safely on that runway. And of course, I think most of the people watching this have probably heard of that. But I mean, not only that, it could be emergency means of speed redu reduction. Uh, you can use a slip to help close a door that pops open in flight. I I've had to do that before. And, and, and the smoke coming off of an engine you can maybe divert the smoke uh, away from the cockpit window. Uh, in addition to the normal thing that we think of, helping bleed off excess altitude and, and airspeed, uh, 
but also we use it regularly in a crosswind landing. So the, 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 this lost art, it's something that we really need to understand and know, and it's a skill every pilot should have. Yeah, I would I would agree with that 100%. And when you talk about a life-saving maneuver, we'll get into this uh, a little bit farther in the presentation, but, but uh, in, instead of stopping at resignation, we can we can fly the airplane in a slip when we have a control failure, for example, loss of aileron control or a jammed rudder, and we can get the airplane where we can we can land it. I don't like to say crash it on our terms, but that's exactly what we're going to do. You know, yeah. the landing might not be pretty, but we're going to do it where we want to do it on our terms instead of just resigning ourselves that we're done. You know, right? And I've been an instructor for many years and been teaching slips and skids. And even with that, after our discussions, I've learned just how little I knew about slips and skids, how much more you have taught me. So I look forward to to sharing that with everybody who's here tonight. And I think yeah. we'll, start, we'll start off and I'll, I'll explain the basics of it. And you can jump in and talk about the, the advanced of it. We've got some great videos that you took that can uh, demonstrate what we're talking about as well. So a, a slipping turn, we'll, we'll talk about turning the airplane, is an uncoordinated turn where you've got too much bank for the amount of rate of turn or not enough or even opposite rudder. So if you were to just bank the airplane without putting any rudder in, you'd be in a slip, right? And you can see in this picture, the airplane's banked. Uh, the ball is to the left because you've got either not enough rudder, you need to push the left rudder, and you're in a left-hand turn. A skidding turn is, again, an uncoordinated turn the rate of turn is too great for the bank angle, or in other words, you're using too much rudder. So as an example, if you simply used rudder to make the turn, kept your wings level, in this case, we've got a, a rate of turn to the right. Uh, and in this case, in the image here, the pilot is just pushing on the right rudder, arguably holding probably opposite aileron to hold the wings level because the airplane would want to roll if you did that. But with the ball on the outside of the turn, we all know that you want to step on the ball to coordinate it. So in this case, there's too much right rudder and we're turning to the right. Uh, so the ball is forced to the outside of the turn, as would be the passengers if uh, if they were in the cabin experiencing that as well. So you can Brian, see. I think, yeah, I think I think a lot of the instructors would probably agree that that we we might see this a little bit more than we would really like to. And, but let's not necessarily say step on the ball because in this case, typically a student might, if you tell them left rudder, they're gonna step on the left rudder, but they're still pressing on the right. That's so they're point. locking their feet. And is it is it add left rudder or reduce the right? In this case, I need to come off the right rudder if I'm flying this Yeah. Way. Exactly. Just, That's just a, a point here to think about. It's a good point. So the ball we're talking about is on the uh, turn coordinator, which is on the bottom left on this image. Uh, I'm trying to advance the slide and <laughs> not quite sure exactly where to click here. There we got it. Turn coordinator. So there's the ball. We know what the turn coordinator looks like. This one happens to be unpowered, which is why you see the, uh, the off flag. Uh, and it's powered, that gyro is powered by electricity, but the ball is purely mechanical, just a basic level. On uh, glass cockpit aircraft, uh, we have a, uh, a, a turn indicator as well, a slip skid indicator that's up at the top of the pointer, the sky pointer there. Uh, you can see the slip skid indicator on that. And 
this is just a, a zoom in of that slipscape indicator as is in this case, the ball or the slipscape indicators to the right. Coincidentally, one bar width on that slipscape indicator is equivalent to the same amount of one ball's width on a conventional or old fashioned uh, slip and skid indicator. So as we looked at this, we have three of them here. One of these is coordinated. One is a slip. I think it's everybody knows which one is coordinated, but if you look at the top two, one's a slip and one's a skid. And uh, as you're looking at it, try and figure out which one it is. We know that the bottom one is coordinated and there's the slipping turn. We're turning to the right. We've got too much uh, or not enough rudder or we're holding opposite rudder. And the skidding turn is over here where the ball is going to the outside of the rate of turn. And we would need to, uh, in this case, we're probably using too much rudder and just skidding the airplane around. Kind of like if you picture a car making a turn without being on a racetrack that banks, it kind of skids toward the outside of the turn as well. And obviously we know that that one is the, uh, the coordinated turn. So we, we mentioned, Ron mentioned that we'll talk about forward slip versus side slip. What's the difference? Generally, once you've got your private pilot certificate, who cares? A slip is a slip. They're both the same thing. The airplane is uh, slipping through the air. It's flying sideways. Although if you were to look at this image and this airplane is slipping, doing a forward slip toward runway 33, and if he's looking at 33 and moving sideways towards it, then he's doing a forward slip to landing there. And if you look at runway 36, landing straight north, and we had a crosswind to offset that drift angle, well, now we'd be in a side slip because the wheels are actually lined up with the, uh, the runway so we can land. So we do a side slip for uh, making a crosswind landing so we can line up our wheels with the runway. Just to show that, a forward slip is where the longitudinal axis is at angle to the runway. So in this case, there's no wind. We're just flying toward the runway, but we're too high. So we're going to just bank to one direction, opposite rudder the other direction, and we're just flying over the runway with the longitudinal axis at an angle to the runway. But all that drag is helping us get down. That slip is forward slip and usually used to help the aircraft or help the pilot get to a lower altitude if you're too high or to slow down. Uh, I think you have, in your pits, you probably do a slip just so you can see out the window, right, Mark? <laughs> Yep. Sometimes. Yeah, at the, at the start of the base, the base leg turn, it's it's a slip all the way. And that's for visibility? Yep. Out the window, yeah. Interesting. So there's another reason, just for visibility in some airplanes. In this case, we have a crab. An airplane is flying in a crab because of the wind coming from the left. So the ground path has us flying directly over the extended center line of the runway. The airplane is fully coordinated, flying directly into the relative wind. But with the crosswind, the airplane is flying right over the runway. But we can't touch down like that. Uh, so what we would do in this case is we can tell it's obvious which rudder we would need to push to line up the airplane with the runway. But if we push the right rudder to line the aircraft up at the runway, the aircraft is going to want to roll and drift off and fly off to the right side of the runway. So we bank the airplane to the left, use that horizontal component of lift to keep the airplane over the runway while we're lining it up with the runway with the rudder. And that would make a much better landing and much, much better on the landing gear if they can roll straight down the runway than touching down in a crab. And in that case, that's a side slip for landing right there to parallel. Yeah. I, don't, uh, yeah. I mean, I'd like to make a point on that, on that crab landing. And 
One of the reasons nose wheels got were, were invented that the airplane would have a tendency to straighten itself out um, based on its trajectory. And that does happen. Another thing that I see with students is they'll land with a crab and not realize they're in a crab because they're looking straight ahead. And they think because they're going straight ahead or they see straight ahead and they're on the center line or whatever an airplane could be, 10 to 15 degrees either side of the center line, and which turns into quite the arrival. <laughs> I've noticed the same things with co-pilots at the airline as well. Uh, we're, we're flying along in the crab and I'm waiting for them to kick it out and land. Just go out to any big airport and watch air, airliners land and you'll see, you'd be surprised at how many airline pilots actually land the airplane in the crab. The airplane can take it, but it's not the preferred way to do it. So uh, what... First time I flew with Mark, he put this on the uh, chalkboard, on the whiteboard, and gave me a little quiz. So, Mark, you want to explain this? <laughs> and I do this uh, in the emergency maneuver training course that I teach. Um, we have an entire lesson that's that's devoted to slips, slipping turns, um, and speed control on a slip. It's always boggled my mind just how many pilots don't realize what they're looking at when they look at this, the slip skid ball. And we have people that fixate on the ball and don't realize that the ball lags and we'll see the lag in the ball in a couple of minutes here when we get into the videos. But I like to put this up that we're slipping the airplane to the left. Which one is indicating a slip, number one or number two? And it's to me about 70% of the time People get it wrong, but I also have another rule here. It's a wrong answer if it takes you more than five seconds to answer it. I'm still so, trying to figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we've got an answer for you on the next slide. All right. And and one of the things, the, the technique I, I like to use to remember this, if, if we slip the ball in, it's a slip. If we're skidding the ball out, it's a skid. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm imagining the airplane, when you say left slip, the airplane is banked to the left. Left wing down. Left wing down. Yeah. Okay. And that makes sense. Um, one of the things that was also a shocker to me, I'd always been afraid to uh, uh, stall while I'm slipping. I was deathly afraid because you hear if you stall the airplane while you're cross controlled, that it's going to slip and that was, or it's going to stall or spin. And that was something that I was definitely afraid of until the eye-opening experience I had with you. And we went up and I was holding the airplane at a pretty deep slip. And you said, all right, pull it back and do a stall. And uh, that was kind of an eye-opener for me. Uh, so you took a video of this the other day. Yeah. Um, and when I work with applicants for the CFI spin endorsement, I'll ask the question, what happens if we stall on a slip? And most of the time I do get the standard answer, we're going to spin. And I think this is one of the things that breeds this tribal knowledge and this misunderstanding that gets transmitted on and on and on that don't do that because you're going to spin. Now, there, there are some things about stalling in a slip we're going to talk about in a minute. But this particular airplane is Centauri and a lot of other airplanes uh, when we stall them in a slip and remember from spins that a spin is created by a stall 
when you enroll a couple for a skidded situation. In this case, we have uh, left aileron, right rudder, we're in a left slip, and we're gonna go ahead and stall the airplane. Let's see what happens. Okay. And so what surprised me about that and what helped me to understand it is something you said that made me think in my head, and maybe you said these exact words, was that you're already applying the rudder that would counter a spin. Correct. Something we're, to that. we're preventing the coupling of yaw and roll. Um, just like we do when we do the falling leaf exercise. Uh, a lot of times we'll do an exercise. Falling leaf is a good example. The instructor holds the airplane in a stalled condition, power off and the student keeps the wings level with the rudder. That's great. We're not allowing the yaw and roll to couple. And so we're not going to spin. But we don't apply that. That just becomes an exercise or something we do, and we don't apply it to our flying, and we don't really think about it. Right. And that's yeah. well and good in the Satabria, but what about in a 172? Are we allowed to slip a 172 with full flaps? Because I've heard all the well, time people always saying you can't do that. You can't do that. You know, this is a this is an interesting topic, and um, for the audience, there's going to be a couple of links on uh, Brian's website. I don't know if we've got them on there yet. That go into some very great detail on where this comes from, and there's a lot of history here. It starts with the Cessna 170B. Um, not the A model, but the B model, which was essentially the 172 wing. And there were some issues with what the airplane's going to do if it's stalled in a slip with the flaps extended. Um, the placards and the guidance is all a void. It's not prohibited. And some things can happen. It depends on the speed of... The placard says avoid because under certain conditions that are extreme enough at a high airspeed, the airplane can experience an, an uncommanded pitch down. So what does that really mean? And I don't know what a high airspeed is. I don't, I don't know that we slip at high airspeeds. But if you do, if you make that mistake, we probably get an uncommanded pitch down. In other cases, if uh, the CG is a little aft or we've got passengers on board and it's a 40-degree flap airplane, it, it will oscillate a little bit. And again, there's some great reading that I don't want to go into here that's going to be on Brian's website. If it's not already there, it'll be on there tonight. It'll be on there by later tonight. And my website is captainshift.com. Uh, we'll put a link to it in the materials on this uh, pro yeah. program as well. But yeah, I'll have them on there by tomorrow. And the key word here is avoid. Yeah, it's not prohibited. It's not in the limitations. And boy, yeah. if you had to make a slip, if you had to slip, a 172. You've probably already screwed up getting that high, but if it's an emergency maneuver, I wouldn't hesitate to slip a 172 with flaps if I had to get down. It beats the alternative, obviously. Yeah, and what we're going to see in a video here, because we're going to do it both ways with uh, flaps up and flaps down, so here we're going to stall in the left slip with the flaps up, and we don't have any audio here, so I'll talk about this as as the video runs.
This is a P model with 30 degrees of flaps. It's capable of 30 degrees. Flaps are up yeah, now, right? And, and, uh, the flaps are up on, on this, on this uh, stall. So here's the stall, and the airplane runs out of rudder authority and rolls into the deflected ailerons. And that's typically what high-wing airplanes do. Now, when we stalled the Cetabria, it has equal amounts of yaw and roll, and it has a tendency to be really stable in the slip. 172, not so much. Now we'll do, um, let's stall, let's go to the next slide and we'll stall it with the flaps up. Well, no, we'll do it to the flaps up and we'll do it to the right. Just Same to dispel. 172, yeah. we'll slip to the right. Okay. An airplane's okay. going to run out of rudder authority at the stall and it's going to roll into the, into the uh, wing that's already down. And there's the roll. We can see the ground coming up. Now, if you stay with this, there's a good chance you could end up on your back. And that's probably not a good idea. Generally, because if we're slipping, we're probably in the landing pattern and we're probably close to the ground. That's a good point. If you're, It's just a rollover, though. It's not a spin. No. No, it is not a spin. And, and you had mentioned... Now, let's, let's qualify that. Um, and I don't have... Uh, video for this in a low wing airplane typically a typical low wing airplane will run out of aileron authority and will roll in the deflection of the deflected rudder in the direction of the deflected rudder so we'll use the left slip as an example we have left aileron right rudder we lose aileron authority the the, the yaw control, which is the rudder, is going to influence the roll axis and, and bring it into what we call an over-the-top situation. If the airplane remains stalled, as soon as that roll meets the yaw, it's going to spin. I've only, so you're saying, I've only had... Go ahead. Just to clear that up, a high-wing airplane is going to... If you stall in a slip in a high-wing airplane, why is it that the rudder gets blocked out? You lose rudder authority. You lose you lose rudder authority, and I don't have the why on this. I just I just I just know from practical application and experience that's what happens. I'm guessing uh, the wing, wing might get in the way of the airflow to the empennage and the rudder, but a low wing, I can see where if you're stalling a low wing in a slip, the uh, uh, wing might get in the way of, uh, and the fuselage might get in the way of the uh, up aileron. Yeah. And I did it the other day, intending to shoot some uh, video, but we did it in a Grumman Tiger, and it gently rolled over the top. A couple of years ago, I did it in a Rockwell Commander, and it snapped violently over the top. Um, Important safety tip. You know, <laughs> and as we, uh, you know, I was talking to Ron uh, before we went live, you know, with his Bonanza experience and mine. Uh, combined, I've done this in the B-tail and the straight tail, 36, 35, and the 33s. There's really nothing that happens to those airplanes. They just they just stall. They might want to hint that they're going to go over the top, but again, just relaxing the backstick is the cure. Um, Mark and Brian, if I could interrupt for a moment. Sure. So, but just uh, real quick, to, to be clear... We're not advocating you go out and do slipping stalls. That's not something we just need to go out and practice. 
I think we're talking about this. The purpose of talking about this is so that we understand that not to be so afraid of a slip. We have one question from a from a listener who I guess there's lots of different models, of course, of Cessna 172s. His POH says avoid steep slips with flaps greater than 20 degrees. He's wondering what's the difference between a slip and a steep slip? Is that something that we know I'm about? Sure, or is that- I Brian knows what that is because I don't. <laughs> I've never seen a 172 do a steep slip. Okay, so <laughs> perhaps that's just one of those um, uh, helpful hints in the POH that uh, we don't completely understand. Well, and you go back, and, and yeah, you go back into the into the 170B model, and and it uses the word extreme. So could extreme be steep? I don't know. Um, I think that they're probably getting themselves out of uh, saying it's okay to slip. For a side slip for a landing, but we're not talking about putting it into a full slip. Maybe that. And if that uh, if that viewer that asked the question, I'd, I'd it'd be great if we could identify what model 172 that is, just because I'd like to do some further research on that. Okay. I'm sure he'll he'll write that in a chat, and I'll give it to you later, yeah. Mark. But uh, so we're about halfway yeah, through, and and please continue. This is very interesting to all of our re- our um, listeners, I'm sure. All right, let's put 30 degrees of flaps down and stall it in a left at a left wing or left aileron right rudder slip and see what happens. And there's the stall, and it starts to roll, and it just, that roll happens just a little bit faster. And uh, without the flaps up, it stalls, then it starts to roll. Uh, with the flaps down, it just happens a little bit quicker, like maybe twice as fast. Interesting. One of the things that I like to discuss with students, especially when they start getting their instrument rating, is how they turn coordinator actually works when we just really quickly, I want to cover that, that the bank of that turn coordinator, and we're going to see this application in a couple of the videos coming up. What that's measuring or giving you is if you're in a coordinated turn and you're established in a bank, it's giving you the rate of turn. Basically the turn coordinator tells you the rate of turn of two different cards, two different instruments. It's telling you the rate of roll. It's also measuring the rate of turn of the DG, the, the, the compass indicator, so your heading indicator. So it's changing the rate of turn. It's measuring the rate of turn and telling you what rate you're turning. It's also telling you the rate at which you are rolling. So if you roll quickly into a turn, you'll see a pretty steep bank on that turn coordinator. But until you stop rolling the aircraft, it is measuring both roll and rate of turn, rate of roll and rate of turn. So it's measuring the way those two cards in the instrument panel are turning. That's just something I like to point out so people understand there's a lot of confusion with that instrument. So now we're going to get to the uh, turn coordinator demo video number one here. Yeah, and I think here we're going to do some uh, Dutch rolls. We're going to hold the nose on a point, roll the airplane side to side. And although that is a coordinator maneuver, we're going to see the ball go all over the place. So the ball's not necessarily accurate all the time. Brian, when is the ball accurate? (laughs) You taught me that. (laughs) Uh, How about when when we're in unaccelerated flight? 
Well, I think what you taught me was that it's accurate when we're in unaccelerated flight. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty okay. sure that's what it was. You were cutting out there for a minute. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I'm kidding. So watch on this video, watch the relationship between the bank angle, the turn coordinator, and obviously the heading indicator shouldn't be moving much as we just roll left and right. while the turn coordinator is showing an indication of banking, the airplane may not match that. Yeah, I think the attitude indicator is actually reacting quicker than the, than the, than the turn coordinator is. Yeah, because we're not turning. So the, the turn coordinator senses the initial acceleration but doesn't know what to do after that. But, but the ball was moving all over the place, but we weren't changing headings, so we weren't turning. In the second video, um, something, I think the other video started in a slip, and this one may be the Dutch rolls, but let's watch this video. Okay, the, the point here was that the turn coordinator is not showing us anything to do with the bank angle of the wings. Right. Because the DG was not indicating a heading change we did have an indication of bank with the attitude indicator but the turn coordinator was level so that's what i was trying to show there got it and i see i see aaron was asking if i would slip the airplane on the on the desk behind me here uh i actually have slipped the boeing 727 it slips beautifully i'm hesitant to do that now in uh airplanes that have winglets which is what i find now not quite sure what would happen to that. They're not certified for slipping. So now if we look at, there's another example of the turn coordinator versus the bank angle, if you watch this video, right? And you know, excuse me, Brian, but this one's the Dutch rolls. That's what I thought, yeah. So we can see the yeah. bank angle changing quickly on the turn coordinator because it's measuring the rate of roll. And so while you're rolling out of a turn, let's say you're in a right turn, right bank to the right, when you roll out of a bank to the right, you're actually rolling to the left and the turn coordinator is therefore measuring your rate of turn to the rate of roll to the left. And so you see it doing that. Uh, if I were to play this again, if I can do that, I'll try. Watch the turn coordinator. Watch the roll of the attitude indicator. And you can see as soon as we start rolling to the left, the turn coordinator starts measuring that rate of roll. And again, in, in partial panel flying, you cannot rely on that turn coordinator to determine that your wings are level unless the all important thing is happening, that you have that ball sent. You have to be in coordinated flight for it to be now measuring only uh, the rate of roll and help keep your wings level as is in partial panel. And Brian and Mark, if I can interrupt again. Uh, so the previous question about um, the uh, Cessna 172 in a steep uh, slip, that was um, her airplane was an R or a P model. And so that um, gives you the information you were looking for, Mark. And then hey, also an another question um, 
it's when you're in a slipping turn, um, this uh, this listener says the high wing stalls first. So you go over the top and into a spin. Uh, would you like to comment on that? When you're in a slipping turn. That, 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 yeah, in a slipping turn, that's going to depend entirely on what airplane. And wings on the top, wings on the bottom. Um, there's a lot of variables there. And okay. we could we could dive a little bit deeper into that with some more specifics, maybe when we get into the Q&A portion. But I think we need to keep moving for now, looking at my watch. Very good. Go ahead. Yeah. Speed control on a slip. Um one of the things that I see with, with students, and I ask them to demonstrate a slip, and I see this a lot on flight reviews, and they'll slip to the left, for example, on a Cessna 172, and they'll un unport the static, and the airspeed goes away, and they'll push the nose down to get the speed back, or the stall warning horn comes on. Now, when that happens, we're defeating the purpose of the slip. If we were going to slip to a landing, and let's say we're going to put it on the first white stripe up from the numbers, and we started, let's say, at 60 or 65 knots, stabilized approach, entered the slip, lose airspeed, indicated airspeed, we push the nose down. When we come out of the slip, we're going to be 10 to 15 knots, in some cases 20 knots faster, and we're going to completely negate the purpose of the slip. We're going to land halfway down the runway, which is where we were going to go if we didn't start the slip. So if we enter the slip and do not change the pitch, when we come out of the slip, we're going to be at the same airspeed and we get what we're looking for. So I came up with a way to demonstrate this uh, a couple of years ago. And let's take a look at it. I'm using the... Uh, the alternate static supply on a 172 here. So here we are in a slip, and we started this slip at 60 or 65, I forget. I opened up the static port, and we'll see the jump in the airspeed. We'll close the static port again, and the airspeed drops off, open it again, the airspeed comes back up. We teach it in ground school, and we teach that the and the POH even says that the airspeed indicator may or may not be accurate during a slip, but we forget it. And we see that airspeed low and we hear the stall warning horn. And so our cure is to push the nose down. Yeah, I've seen that. And, and then when you come out of the slip, you've got all this airspeed. <laughs> yeah. And like yeah. you said, and all, all of this energy, and you're going to land, you're going to land where you were before you started the slip. Right, right. And this, this video is just looping so you can see it. And just one more time and I'll, I'll move to the next slide. You can see the low airspeed in the slip. He just pulled the static cord and look at all that air, that, that airspeed now that it's not being encumbered by either positive or negative pressure at the static cord. And this will vary with different airplanes. If you have, you know, once they started putting a static cord on each side of the 172, uh, when you slip the airplane, you get ram air on one side and negative pressure on the other, and they tended to balance each other out. Uh, so that was a problem with the some airplanes with a static port on one side is, is where this is more problematic as well. So skidding turn wings level. Brian, if I, Brian, if I may interrupt before we get into skidding turns, uh, sure. back to slipping again. Yeah. So. Uh, make sure we understand on a high wing airplane, uh, one of our listeners said both in Cessna and in a Bonanza, 
the high wing stalls first when they're in a slipping turn. And that puts uh, her into a spin. Is, is that how you see it as well? Or are we missing some point here? Well, again, I think we need to go back and remember that the spin is going to be driven or auto rotation is going to start if we have a stall with yaw and roll couple. Okay. That's thing one. In a slip, and I have to wait for that airplane to go by. In a slip, the yaw and the roll are as far apart as they could possibly be. You've already got the flight controls in a position where you're countering a spin. And yeah. so the airplane may roll because it loses the rudder authority and you've got all that aileron in there. And so yeah. I think some pilots may mistake the, the ensuing roll as an incipient spin entry when in fact it's not. Okay, but when I, we're in a slip. I would, I would agree with that. When we're in a slip and approaching a stall, which wing does stall first in a slip? The high wing or the low wing? That would depend, and I'm going to lean towards the high wing. Okay. But All right. so that, that is, uh, it's also going to depend on the airplane. Okay. But I'll dive into that a little bit deeper at a later date because it's an interesting well, question. It is. Well, that's and happening. I'm asking on the, the skyward rudder as well. So you're fighting the spin while that's happening. Although that wing might stall first, you have the rudder in there to fight the spin. And again, like Mark said, it varies on the airplane. Yeah. Okay, good. All right, so we try to answer that and more discussion perhaps at uh, AirVenture in the NAFI tent uh, next month. Yeah, I'll, be, I'll, be armed, I'll be armed and ready for that one. <laughs> good deal. Yeah. So the skidding turn, and here's just an image of the flight instruments during a skidding turn, where in this case, again, I showed this picture earlier, I've just got full right rudder. The airplane is skidding, turning to the right, holding the wings level. It's an un uncomfortable turn, and the ball and the turn coordinator, just like the passengers in the airplane, are, are all sliding out to uh, the outside of the turn to the left on this case. So, Mark, you want to talk to us about the base to final skidding turn? That's something yeah, that we should... on this one, on this one, I know exactly which wing is going to stall first, and it's going to be the inside wing. So the skidded base to final turn, we read about these a lot. I hear about them a lot. It's any skidded turn that, that, that can go end up in a spin. But typically what's going to happen is we start a turn, doesn't matter whether it's left or right. And I like to use a traffic pattern analogy in that we're, we seem to be taught that we shouldn't exceed 30 degrees angle of bank in the traffic pattern. So we start this turn not wanting to exceed 30 degrees angle of bank, but let's say the wind has got us and the wind is moving us away from the airport and we don't want to increase the bank, but we just need to move that nose over a little bit so we don't, we won't overshoot the runway, for example. So we'll give it a little bit of inside rudder. So when we give it the inside rudder, the, that couple John roll, in, in a left turn, it's going to be on the left side of the airplane. The airflow over the deflected rudder is going to push the nose down a little bit. So now it's all fine except for one thing. Our pilot sees the nose go down, might hear a stall warning horn, um, and they're going to pull to raise the nose. And this is typically what happens. Um, so let's do one and see what it looks like. 
traffic pattern is a bad place to have that happen. Yeah, it's 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 not great. But let's talk about a couple of things and then and then maybe watch it again. Uh, I've got my model here. So if we start a left-hand turn or a right-hand turn, I'm just going to go left here. And we're going to back the airplane, start the turn, we'll neutralize the aileron. But we don't have that rate that we're looking for. We need to tighten it up a little bit. We'll give it some inside rudder. That airflow over the rudder is going to push the nose down. It's also going to give us more roll. Now we give it some back stick to try to raise the nose. This wing is going to stall first. This one accelerates auto rotation for the spin. The other interesting thing is as soon as we do this, give it the inside rudder, the relative wind is actually coming from here. Why is that interesting? Well, that's going to take the disrupted airflow and spill it off to the side of the airplane. It's not going to hit the empennage and give it the buffeting that we're used to at a stall. So when this unhooks, it just goes. We don't feel it, and we might not get a stall warning horn. That's an eye-opener on that, and for sure. And, and I've seen students do that, not just students. I've had, I gave a flight review, and I've seen pilots turning final with a, they had a tailwind on the base leg, and they... I don't know if it's ground shyness or they think they can't do aerobatics in the pattern, but they've refused to steepen the bank angle. And they think it's a better alternative or subconsciously they're not thinking. They start mashing yeah. on that inside rudder. It's better to overshoot the runway, fly the airplane coordinated back to the final approach, do it or do a go around or steepen the bank a little bit would be better than yeah. that, skidding that rudder in. Anything's better than a skid. And unfortunately we don't have survivors that are able to tell us what exactly was going through their mind when we did this. And in our demonstration, of course, we had altitude. We knew what we were doing. Uh, we don't know how we're going to react when we're presented with this in a traffic pattern. Right. Because generally it's a surprise. So yeah. a, lot of, a lot of pilots fear low airspeed, definitely fear uncoordinated flight and fear pushing on that rudder to skid that airplane around the turn for sure. We're yeah. going to show one more time. And take a look at the ball here when the, when the spin starts. I was surprised at this when Mark showed me this. Wow, yeah, if you're using that ball to keep yourself out of a spin, I got news for you. It's not gonna work. Uh, anything more to add to that one more? No, I think we're I think we're good. I think that's self-explanatory. And the other thing that you teach as a good uh, technique to help battle uh, loss of flight controls is to use this a slip or or tell us about that. You know, and, and it's a great topic, and I think it, it actually ends up being another presentation or another webinar, and we'll talk a lot about this at Oshkosh. But a slip is, it can be a get-out-of-jail maneuver. Um, 
there's a 172 accident. I don't have the particulars on, but but control over the ailerons was lost. And the pilot simply, and and I just have to call it resignation, didn't use his didn't use their feet, didn't use the rudder to keep the wings level, didn't use his other resources, power, trim, um, and flew it right into the ground in a some type of a spiraling descent. It's a it's a horrible, horrible accident that I haven't completely researched. But um, sometimes what we call uh, maintenance-induced failures, for example, airplane's just out of annual and there's a tool left in the wing and it jams a aileron bell crank. And let's say we're out doing steep turns and, and the airplane might have flown a few hours and not done any steep turns. And it was steep enough just to move this tool over and jam the, the bell crank. How can we, number one, stop the roll? We're going to stop it with opposite rudder. And we're going to fly the airplane in a slip someplace where we can get it on the ground on our terms, not on the airplane's terms. And that's what's going to keep us alive. If we have a rudder jam, if the rudder is jammed one direction or the other, and it happens, and we see this a lot in aerobatic airplanes, but you get a, a jammed flight control, let's say the rudder's jammed to the right. Well, we can certainly give it left aileron and fly the airplane in a slip. In uh, the teaching that I do, we got to wait for that airplane to take off. <laughs> We uh, show that we can climb in a slip, we can turn in a slip, we can certainly descend in a slip, and we can land in a slip. And we actually, at the, at the end of that, we um, do a demonstration, or a, it's, it's, it's an active demonstration. The pilot, the student actually does this, but we take away the ailerons and the elevator, just make it a free-floating stick, and come out from the practice area um using just the rudder and the trim and the power and fly the airplane to a full stop landing i think that's some life-saving advice and a great trick that to keep in your hip pocket uh i think very important if you're intimidated by slips and skids to go with an instructor who's experienced with this preferably i would say a tail dragger instructor even better an aerobatics instructor and and get some flight instruction on this and see it and you'll feel so much more comfortable after after doing it so it's great advice i went up with mark even after having learned to fly doing slips regularly my mo was to enter half a slip and if i needed more i'd get more if i was too low i'd roll out so i used the slip kind of like glider pilots do with their spoilers or what powered pilots do with the throttle if you need more you add it i would just get deeper in the slip if i was high and i would roll out of the slip if i was low um, anyway that that's the end of uh this dog and pony show, I think we can take questions. We'll answer whatever anybody's talking about. We've got some, as a matter of fact. Um, thank you, uh, Brian and Mark, a great presentation. So Mark, could you bring up your model again where you drew the relative wind on the, on the wing surface? So show us the model head on to the camera, if you would. All right, so now I think you were saying it was gonna be in a left slip, so compare yeah, the airplane so for a left slip. And the relative wind's coming from here. Is that so the relative wind moving straight toward us right now? Yeah, the straight airplane again. is moving. Yeah, I think. The airplane is in a left bank, and you have, what, right rudder to counteract that for a forward slip. 
Correct. Yeah. The relative bend would be coming from the camera straight back towards you. And so you've drawn the lines for the relative wind on top of the wing. Is that correct? Right. But I was, uh, that was in, as it relates to the skidded turn. Because what I was talking about there was the inside rudder and the skidded condition. The relative wind's coming from here, even though the nose is going this way. And when that relative wind takes the disrupted air at the stall, over it dumps it off on the side of the airplane not the empennage so we really don't feel the stall in a lot of airplanes in the skidded turn you know in the skidded turn okay yeah the expert on relative wind as it relates to uh uh whether it's a forward slip or a side slip would be mr ship because we we got deep into that one the other day even in a side slip, you're going to have relative wind coming from the side. It's just that because you've got a crosswind, the airplane's going right down the runway. Airplane doesn't know the difference between a forward slip and a side slip. It's just where is the runway moving beneath the airplane? Indeed. True. So a couple other questions to kind of wrap this up as we're approaching the nine o'clock hour, the top of the hour anyway. Uh, is there a um, specific speed that we should uh, try and attain while doing a slip to land? Is there a certain airspeed that we sure. should use? Sure, whatever, whatever your whatever your landing your landing speed would be without a slip, and okay. I'd want to get stabilized, pitch and trim for that speed, enter the slip, scrub off your altitude. But if we don't change the pitch and we roll out of the slip, the speed's going to be the same. Okay, it's the um, misappropriation of uh, pitch controls during that, thinking that the airspeed is decreased if depending on the model of the aircraft. Exactly, and it, and it doesn't necessarily need to be a visual decay in airspeed from, from the airspeed indicator. It could also be the perception that the nose is coming up, I'm getting slow, I need to push it back down. I see that a lot as well. Okay. And I'll tell you another really neat thing in a slipping turn, something that I learned from flying with Mark. And I got to tell you, if, you, if you're in Southern California and you have the opportunity, go take a flying lesson from him. Don't bring your logbooks if you're an airline pilot. Don't even tell Mark you're an airline pilot. <laughs> I have a lot of GA experience, but boy, he honed in on that airline stuff. And uh, uh, rightly so. <laughs> but we went up and we did some skidding, slipping turns. I'm sorry, we were doing a slip. And I'm just bending that bank angle over and over and over. And I'm like, why won't this airplane turn? I'm trying to get it to turn final. And the very enlightening words that came out of his mouth, I think it was one word, pull. Pull. Yeah, <laughs> so okay. we're in this clip. Yeah. That airplane wouldn't turn, and I pulled it, and it just turned on a dime. I got a rate of turn, yeah. like, way more than I ever dreamed about. I had always been afraid to do that. And now I know how to make the airplane increase its rate of turn in a slip. Pull. <laughs> That's by using the elevator pitch control. Very good. And yeah. how about um, CG position, um, Mark and Brian? Does the CG position make much difference when we're in a slip? You know, I, I'd like to be able to give a definitive action, a, answer on that. And most of the extreme slipping stuff that I've done in a 172, obviously, it's all been in the utility category. Um, I do know that we have an app CG condition in a high wing like a 172 or even a 182 or a 210, we might get a little bit of oscillation if we stall the airplane in a slip. But that's about all I know. And a Bonanza of Cirrus, Mooney, 
I haven't really seen that it makes a lot of difference. Okay. You know, it's certainly exactly. going to make a difference with, and I don't even want to say the speed that it's going to stall at, but I have to say the speed that it's going to stall at. You know, and then right. we'll, we'll see, we'll see the results. But for the most part, you know, if we, if we fly these airplanes the way they're intended to, and if we're, um, familiar with the limitations, you know, another, another question we have to ask ourselves when we're going to go out and do slips at a Bonanza, for example, we're limited to what, 30 seconds, I think, um, on whether or not it's got baffled fuel cells. I've seen other low wing airplanes with slip limitations in regards to fuel, always check the POH or the AFM or whatever the operating limitations are. And, figure out how that's going to apply for what you want to accomplish with the airplane and don't be a test pilot. Very good. Don't be a test pilot. Here's another uh, question, um, Mark and Brian. So let's say you're crazy high on downwind and you decide to start slipping uh, before you even turn base. Do you need to come out of the slip before you make the turn to base? And then if you continue slipping, do you need to come out of the turn again? Do you come out of the slip before you turn base to final? It depends, depends on the airplane and depends on proficiency. And most airplanes are turnable in a slip. Most pilots aren't capable. So step us through that. How do you safely make a turn while in a slip? Well, the first thing, uh, let's use downwind to base turn, for example. Let's start a turn, start a coordinated turn. As you do that, don't neutralize the ailerons. Add a little bit more aileron as you're adding top rudder or step on the sky because we want, you know, that's the slip. It's going to be opposite the aileron. So you want more aileron into the turn, top rudder to get the airplane slipping, and then some back stick or some back elevator to get the airplane to turn. Okay. And that's something many pilots are probably hesitant to do because they haven't practiced it. So again, getting some good instruction in how to slip and how to turn safely in a slip would be good. Another option is continue downwind if you're really high and not do the slipping turn. If you're not proficient and don't feel comfortable at it, uh, that that base turn generally is is optional unless you have terrain or some other restriction. Yeah, Yeah. and and tailwheel airplanes without flaps or uh, higher performance aerobatic airplanes, we have a tendency to fly a continuous turn from downwind essentially to final and slipping the whole time and okay. turning. And, and what I was taught also, you just jam a bunch of rudder in there and then find the new zero for the rudder point and bank the airplane and fly it in a slip, but modulate the bank to, to control the turn. And again, as Mark taught me, if I'm not getting the rate of turn I want, to an extent, pull. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very good. And then uh, for flight instructors teaching slips and skids uh, or slips in, in a Cessna 172, for instance, should, would they be best off to teach their students with flaps up to begin with? Well, if we're slipping, let's, let's think about something for a second. If we're slipping any airplane with the flaps down, what got us there? You know, that's a little bit of, little bit of bad planning, right? We're either using the slip 
or, or flying the airplane with the flaps up, for example, uh, to do a crosswind correction on a landing, or, you know, we're high, we're going to get down using the slip. We don't want to use the flaps because of maybe some wind conditions on the runway or they simply don't work, you know, because systems fail. Um, so we'll, we'll start with a slip to lose altitude, then a slip for crosswind correction. So being proficient in flaps down slips, I don't, I don't think is particularly important. I wouldn't want to see somebody do it on a check ride. You know, the, the intent is you're proficient in a slip because you're not using the flaps. We don't have a reason to use the flaps.